Welcome to Ledgers and Law, Lessons from the Trenches, where we bring experienced business and legal leaders together to discuss current topics at the intersection of tax, law, and business. And now, please welcome your hosts, Kevin McCoy of Carlton Fields and Chris Rocks of Cherry Beckert. Uh, good afternoon. We're back. Uh, this is a podcast collaboration between Carlton Fields and Cherry Beckert. We're bringing you uh, episode two of some of the latest issues that are affecting our clients uh, from an accounting and a legal perspective. I'm Kevin McCoy. I'm a shareholder in the Tampa office of Carlton Fields. And I have with us today Chris Rucks and Barry Wines from Cherry Beckert. So Chris, uh, take it away with some introductions. Yeah, so I'm, uh, again, Chris Rucks, uh, an audit partner in our Tampa Bay practice for Cherry Beckert. Uh, we have Barry Wines, uh, who is one of our tax experts, uh, also in our uh, Tampa practice. Um, and our, our goal here today is just to discuss, you know, really when you're a startup company, uh, what type of entity types or, you know, issues should companies be considering um, as they, you know, uh, navigate that world? So, um, Barry, I don't know if you want to give a, just a quick overview of you and your, your practice. Sure, Chris. I'm a member of what we call the Professional Practices Group. So I serve as a resource for all of our offices in areas focusing on transactions, C-Corps, uh, S-Corps, partnerships, things along those lines. So we, we do talk with a lot of clients about how to start out their business and the different options they have available to us. So perfect. Barry, that's a great segue. Um, could you maybe uh, share with us a, a high-level um, discussion of the advantages and disadvantages of, of various entity types and what, what people need to think about. You know, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of when they're ready to exit. So what decisions do they need to make at the beginning in order to be successful at the end? Certainly, Chris. Thanks. For the, the decision process really has to start at the very beginning. So you need to understand what's the life cycle of your of your your project, your plan, your corporation, company, whatever, and how are you going to exit at the end? Because sometimes the decisions we make at the beginning are critical as to the advantages or disadvantages we have on, on the back end planning. So you really need to stop and think what's going to happen at each of these different cycles at the startup as I raise additional capital and then ultimately on the exit. So generally there's two types of entities that we think of you have a C-Corp, which is a taxable entity in and of itself. And then you have what we call pass-throughs. Pass-throughs can either be partnerships and S-Corps. And like the name, what it means is all of the income is being reported at, at the individual owner's level. So the main disadvantage with the C-Corp is that there's a double level of tax. So the C-Corporation itself pays a level of taxes that earns the income. And when it distributes that prof those profits out to its, its shareholders, their tax generally is dividends. So you have two layers of tax. Um, with with pass-throughs, generally there's only one layer of tax. So the, the tax is at the individual level. It's not necessarily at the entity level. And then once then dis distributions can be taken on a tax-free basis because the tax has already been paid on that. So the levels of tax are, are the main difference and, and where it gets taxed. The rate of tax is obviously a difference too. Inside a C-Corp right now, it's 21% plus state. 
And then when it's distributed out to the shareholders, it's a potential another 20% tax. With pass-throughs right now, if you qualify as a uh, qualified trader business under what we call Section 199 Cap A, you get a 20% reduction in essence in your tax rate, bringing the top tax rate for an individual from 37 down to 29.6. So if you're looking at 29.6 versus 21 and then the exit, the other advantage is on a pass-through, generally on an exit, you could get as low as 20% tax rate. So there are some different tax savings, and it's a question of cash flow in the interim versus exit strategy and the level of tax there. So Barry, um, what if a company makes a mistake um, and we're, we're kind of, we're past that initial stage, is there flexibility in terms of changing an entity type um, prior to exit in order to have more tax savings? Sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's not, there's not a definite answer. There is some flexibility. However, moving from a partnership to an S-corp or a C-corp is generally a tax-free transaction. Going from an S-corp to a C-corp is generally also a tax-free transaction. Moving out of a C-corp into an S-corp, you can generally do that. Uh, there are some issues with what we call built-in gains, and, but after a five-year period, those go away. But you cannot go from a C-corp to a partnership. That can be a ex- very expensive transaction, and, and it's, it's very hard to do. So if you're uncertain, generally start out as a partnership uh, because we can move easily into the other type of entities if at, at the different times you get different funding levels, you know, those, those investors may want different things. So there, if you're going to start out and you're not quite sure, a pass-through is sort of as a partnership is generally going to be the safest place to start. Barry, when, when you first described the C-Corp, I was struggling to find any advantages as you were describing. You had me at double taxation as a, quite a turnoff. What, what, what would be a consideration that someone would put into a potential advantage of a C-Corp? Because I, I didn't hear many there. <laughs> if you have international operations, there are some advantages. But there's, a, there's a, another code section that we refer to as Section 1202. And if you can uh, obtain 1202 status for your C-Corp, then there's a significant benefit and elimination of some of that double taxation. What the Section 1202 does is if you qualify, then when you sell the stock of your C-Corp, you can exclude from income up to $10 million or 10 times your cost basis. So if you put in less than a million dollars, I can exclude up to $10 million from tax, zero tax. If I put in more than a million dollars, I would multiply that by 10. So $2 million investment times 10 is a $20 million exclusion of gain from tax. So that is a very powerful. And even dealing with, with an exit strategy where you do an asset deal to give the benefit for the buyers, you then can wind up limiting yourself to only one level of tax inside the corporation at 21% which means equivocal to the exit on a pass-through. If you can fall into that window, then C-Corps look very attractive because they also have a lower tax rate on your cash flow that you're generating from operations during the interim. 
Does the size of the company factor into any of these decisions? I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of the times we're dealing with folks who start off as just uh, this is an idea. They go through the, you know, validation process and then into growth and then they get bigger. But say you're coming in with an established business. Um, how does the size of the company impact this analysis from a tax perspective? So from a 1202 perspective, so this really good benefit, the 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 company has to be less than $50 million. And there's a couple different tests on, on the $50 million. Some are based on a, a value and some are based on what are what what's your historical cost basis for the assets. So assuming we're talking less than $50 million, then it, either one we can start out as, it's not really dependent. It's if you're over $50 million and you want some of these other benefits, then, um, you know, a corporation, as you said, you've got the double level of tax. You're not going to get the 1202 benefit, and you really then need to just figure out what the economics of the transaction are. So, Barry, uh, regarding this this 1202 benefit, if you, as you mentioned before, the the safest way to start is as a pass through entity. It, it, if you convert to a C corp, um, can you still get that 1202 benefit? Because that seems pretty powerful on an exit. You're correct. It is very powerful. But one of the requirements for the exit in order to take advantage of this is you have to have held the, quote, stock for more than five years. If you're a pass-through, the time period that you own it prior to it converting to a C-Corp will not count. And we have to be careful in the manner in which we convert you from a pass-through to the C-Corp in order to make sure you qualify. But then you have a five-year holding period. So that's the only disadvantage of starting as a pass-through is that time that you're a pass-through does not count toward that five-year requirement. And that's really the biggest one of the biggest challenges with it, with the with twelve oh two stock, is you don't know when that exit's going to be. When is that buyer going to show up? When is your product or service going to be ready to really monetize that? Before five years, you're out of luck. Once you get past that five years, then you wind up with a benefit. Not only that, that benefit only is available individuals. So if you have corporate owners, they're not going to get to take advantage of that. So you can have in, in both pass-throughs and C-Corps, the entity selection type will have a different tax impact depending on the different types of owners you have. Can you just explain that a little more, Barry, in terms of the types of, what, what, what do you mean by the types of order, uh, owners? If you can give us an example. Sure, so if I have a C-Corp, and let's say I have individuals or trusts or pass-throughs who own it, and they own it more than five years and we everything qualifies, they can take a benefit of 1202. A corporate owner who owns a stock does not get any benefit. So they could wind up with the double taxation or they could wind up being taxed on the sale while other shareholders may not. And because of the five-year requirement, you could have shareholders coming in after the date that don't qualify. So the 1202 is particular to a shareholder. It's not particular to the company. Are any of these decisions uh, lend themselves more to one industry type versus another, or is this just general across the board? It doesn't matter if you're selling building widgets or you're selling services or somewhere in between. 
So I would say generally, if you're dealing with real estate, those are almost always in pass-throughs. Real estate inside C-Corps is not a good idea. If it's part of the operating business, that's a different story. But if it's a, it's a pure real estate deal, those are always partnerships because of a lot of different reasons and, and the flexibility we have with stru structuring the economic arrangement. Other than that, it's all going to depend on the type of business, your investors, what they desire. Uh, we have a lot of people who say, oh, I need to start as a C-Corp because investors later on are going to demand it. Well, that's true in some cases, but in some cases they want pass-throughs. If I start as a pass-through and get an investor who wants me to be a C-Corp, I can switch to accommodate them at the time of the transaction, and I'm not penalized before that. So again, that's why sometimes starting as a pass-through gives you a lot more flexibility for what's going on beyond that. Yeah, Barry, I think the um, the crux here is is really knowing what your your business plan is um, and, and really looking out on the horizon because as you mentioned, one twelve oh two that five years um, in a day, you know, really prevents you from having the benefit there. Um, so. What, you know, I guess what recommendations would you have other than starting as a pass-through to companies as they're considering how they structure their company um, and, and what they think their exit may be? Well, really, the, the first thing we like to say is don't let the tax tail wag the dog. So you need to figure out what are the economics of your deal. Who is going to be investing? Where are you getting your source of funds? Am I going to be generating a lot of losses early on? Because those losses can then shelter income, but inside a C-Corp there's rules as I add more and more owners. So there's a lot of different rules that come into play. And while in general we would say, you know, a pass-through kind of gives you more flexibility, it doesn't mean it's the right answer in every circumstance. It's really a facts and circumstances test. Figure out what the economics are, who your investors are, who are they going to be, what type of returns are they looking to, what flexibilities do you need, and that's really what should be driving this, is what, what makes sense from an economic perspective, and then figure out, can I enhance the economics through tax planning? Gotcha. Now that makes complete sense. Uh, Kevin, do you have any thoughts from a legal standpoint? Obviously, we're focusing on tax uh, structuring here, but uh, what, what have you seen in your practice um, that, that impacts the structuring piece of this? Well, you know, I usually encounter it on the back end because I don't do I don't do transactional work, but I see it on the back end when there is a partnership dispute. Uh, there's a logjam of partners and no one can uh, figure out who has the majority or they're, they're deadlocked. Um, and so those present their own challenges. Obviously, if, if you can have more freedom in the, you know, what I'll call the pass-through partnership type arrangement and you trust the people that you're doing business with, um, that's great. And you don't have to deal with some of the administrative and, and overhead uh, levels of bureaucracy that maybe come with a C-Corp arrangement. But, you know, it really depends on how, how closely do you trust your business partners. And unfortunately, by the time they get to me, <laughs> they're usually uh, nobody's trusting anybody and everybody's ready to duke it out. And I find that in the partnership scenario, more often you have people who are closer to the business. They are more emotionally invested in the business than when I represent a corporation 
you know, uh, maybe the people who are in management of the corporation, they didn't start the business. They aren't the founders. They're the next generation of management after a transaction. So they're not as emotionally invested. But when I get into the disputes that are the original partners, it's as, it can be as bad as a marital, marital breakup. You know, folks are fighting over, you know, in marriages, they say people fight over the toaster. You would be shocked at what people will hold out for in a business divorce uh, among partners or a LLC or one of those types of arrangements. So um, I don't really, I, I, to me, it, it really comes down to uh, know who you're doing business with. And and that's a big driver, I, I think, on the front end in terms of how you set this up, what protections are there, uh, if, especially if you're doing a partnership deal. But then on the back end, by the, like I said, by the time they get to me, everybody's mad at everybody. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a very fair summary um, is know who you're getting in bed with, if you will. Um, and then also planning for that, uh, for that exit ahead of time so that there, there are no surprises and you don't have that marital breakup, if you will. Uh, I mean, it, it, obviously it may still happen, um, but if you can put uh, precautions in place from the get-go, I think it would be very helpful. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll add to that one other piece. I get this from people all the time who come to me and they say, listen, you know, this is an uncomfortable conversation. I've known this person my whole life. We're going to go into business together. I don't, I don't really want, I think they'll take offense to putting this in like I don't trust them. And my response to that always is you have the agreements and you have the provisions in the agreements, not for right now. It's for when everything goes to hell. You know, you have contracts for the scenarios that are uncomfortable in the future. That's why you write it all out. And if you don't want to have those conversations now, that's fine. But if this plays out in in the worst type way, then you're going to be exposed. And nobody ever thinks that their business partner is going to do them wrong or double cross or cheat and steal or anything else uh, or take opportunities for themselves. But it happens every single day and it happens every day to people who never saw it coming. And it's because a lot of times they just didn't want to have those uncomfortable conversations on the front end. So uh, that's that's the if there's a legal takeaway to today's discussion, that's that's what I would say is don't be afraid if you're going to if you're going to get into business with somebody, you know, be mature enough to have those hard conversations about what happens if everything goes bad. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point. Um, and if you're unable to have those conversations with that person, then you might not really want to be in business with them in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, you know, it kind of wraps up what we, you know, wanted to cover today. Um, you know, Kevin or Barry, do you have any, any final thoughts uh, before we close this out? Now, again, I think it's upfront planning. And as Kevin said, even for the bad situation. So you want to plan for the operational aspects and you want to plan for the tax aspects. So all of those go together. No, no one of them is going to drive or make the difference. But again, this is a business. You have to make the business decision first and then layer in all these other things. Yeah, I, I think Barry said it about as well as you can say it. Fair enough. All right. Well, hey, Barry, uh, Kevin, thank you uh, for your time today. Really appreciate it. I thought some really great insights. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll follow up with uh, uh, more discussions um, as, as our audience uh, would like. Yep. And for all of you listening, you can find this content on the websites of Carlton Fields and Cherry Beckert. 
and for those of you who are in the space uh, looking to launch a business and get some uh, free insights and some planning, uh, Carlton Fields has a resource, uh, Launch to Thrive, uh, available that you can find free resources in terms of typical form documents and other things that may be useful as you're trying to get your arms around literally uh, birthing a business and getting it off the ground in those initial stages. So this has been a great discussion. We look forward to a next episode. So Chris, Barry, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. You've been listening to Ledgers and Law, Lessons from the Trenches with Kevin McCoy of Carlton Fields and Chris Rucks of Cherry Beckard. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields or client relationship with Cherry Beckard. Thanks for listening.